coming up on this week's podcast. I talk about the latest news from the Mobile World Congress. Martin asked the question, are video games making us violent? And Alan compares two brand new films, The Shape of Water and Loveless. You're listening to the Three Pixels Tech, Gaming and Movie Podcast, brought to you by Alan Taylor, Martin Gregory and me, Ben Ridley. Hello and welcome back to this episode of the podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. We hope you have been enjoying the content we've been putting out recently. Don't forget we have a brand new email address. If you want to get in touch with any of the topics we discuss, it is hello at the3pixels.com and a brand new website, which is coming soon. Stay tuned for updates on that. But firstly, this week, we're diving straight back into Two Truths, One Lie. This time, it's my turn. So... Number one, I passed my driving test first time. Number two, I used to repair phones as a kid for people and friends and family. Number three, I used to carry a blanket around as a young kid, like everywhere. I'm going to say number three's got to be wrong uh, because I remember having a conversation with you about phones when you were little, as a, um, but I don't know if it was that you repaired them. Yeah, I know you used to jailbreak them. Is that repairing? <laughs> Jail. <laughs> and I imagine you would have passed your driving test first time. You seem very prepared. I've had this conversation with Ben before. I can't remember what he yeah, said see, to I'm me. Testi- I'm testing my friendship with Martin here. This is yeah, it's really bad. Because we've had this conversation before. I'm going to say the blanket's not true. Um, I think the phone... I, I, Ben's always been technical throughout his entirety. I think he was put on Earth to be technical, okay? <laughs> And and I'm sure he did pass first time. I'm 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 quite sure. Something in my head saying, No Martin, don't do it, but I think the blanket's not true. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the blanket as well. I I assume jailbreaking is repairing in some sense. And I imagine you passed first time your driving test. I'm sorry, you're wrong. Okay. Um, I used to repair phones. I didn't use repair phones. Jailbreaking is not repairing a phone. I'm sorry. I couldn't do that. I've repaired computers uh, um, plenty of times growing up as a kid, but I've never repaired phones. I generally don't kind of like go into that world. When Alan said jailbreaking, I thought like your mum used to lock it up in a cupboard (laughs) and she would try and open up the cupboard and try and get the phone out that way. That's it for Two Truths, One Lie for this episode. Let's head to the tech corner. Yes, it's time for the Tech Corner for this week. I have um, a couple of just very brief stories coming from the Mobile World Congress, which has been going on this week as of recording and as of going live will be last week. There's only two real topics I kind of wanted to talk about because I thought they were really interesting. Just wanted to share them with you. There's not really much opinion to kind of be based off this. Uh, The first one is Qualcomm simulated 5G tests shows how fast real world speeds could actually be. Yes, we've heard a lot over the last few months of what 5G might look look like 5g being the next generation of um, mobile networking technology giving us super fast speeds a lot of numbers been thrown around people saying that it's going to be extraordinarily fast well qualcomm one of the biggest um, manufacturers of mobile processors uh in, in the world, has modelled real-world conditions in Frankfurt and San Francisco. Now, they use this by uh, taking the actual location of existing cell sites and spectrum allocations in the two cities. In Frankfurt, the simulation is a little bit more basic. It's based on the 100 megahertz of 3.5 gigahertz spectrum. 
and an underlying LT network uh, on five LT spectrum bands. But the results are still honestly quite staggering. Uh, browsing jumped from 56 megabits per second for the median 4G user to more than 490 megabits per second for the median 5G user, uh, with roughly seven times faster response for browsing. Download speeds also improved drastically over 90% of users seeing at least 100 megabits per second download speeds on 5G versus eight megabits per second on LTE. So this is actually really, really incredible. I mean, the numbers when they start modeling it on the even faster networks are just staggering. I mean, you know, you're looking at numbers like into the thousands for download speed and near, you know, getting closer and closer to 200 megabits per second upload speed. These speeds are better than most people have. Most of the United Kingdom will have in their houses. And I think what I'm going to propose is that we're more than likely to see these kind of speeds on our mobile networks in the UK that we're going to see anywhere near that on our home broadband. And does that sound a little bit backwards? I think it does. I think it probably says good things about our society that they're fixing problems that didn't know existed. I've, <laughs> I've never had a problem with my 4G. I, I don't know, maybe it's because I live in the city, but do you guys find that your 4G is slow? No, because like um, opposite to you, I, I live in a, like a, a relatively medium-sized town. I never really get much problems with 4G. Even when I'm out and about from my hometown of Banbury, even there I can get like at least a good, even a good 3G, I'll be quite honest. And 4G isn't too bad out there. And you said it's a bit backwards that we're going to get it uh, on our phones. But realistically, isn't that what we want? We are constantly out and about on our phones and on our devices. So therefore, it would make more sense having it on your phone and being more equipped with 5G. Uh, people want things quicker and faster. It, it, that's real evident, especially in the last 10 years. We want things here and here and now. I've even got frustrated when you know you use those machines at Tesco when you want to buy your food, how slow that is. I like things instantly. I'm a, I'm a modern man now. And, and that's why I think 5G and the speeds that they are um, predicting and, and showing really, especially for my generation, is, is fantastic news. So the only other big piece of news that I have to talk about from the Congress was, of course, the announcement of Samsung and their brand new Galaxy S9. The trailer for it originally got leaked ahead of the official release keynote, but it's here, all the details, all the rumors, most of them pretty much confirmed true. In the mobile world these days, very little is left to the imagination as a lot of it's leaked beforehand. So in terms of uh, the release date, we know that it's going to be coming out on the 16th of March with pre-orders starting on the 1st of March here in the UK. Uh, it was uh, announced on the 25th at the World Congress, as I said, in Barcelona. It's going to be priced quite high, but it is what is a trend in mobile phone prices at the moment. The starting at um, £739, while the larger S9 Plus will be priced at £869. This is uh, definitely gone up from the last one. So people who haven't seen how the new phone looks, it looks exactly like the old one, the S8. If you own an S8, if you know what an S8 looks like, you'll pretty much be very familiar with this phone. They've introduced a few new things, one being AR emoji. Anyone who has seen the iPhone 10 will have been very much aware of the iPhone and emoji. Basically, they have taken this uh, and made it a little bit uh, Samsungized, I'd like to say. It's kind of like if Animoji and Bitmoji had a baby. That's what it looks like. Some, some of them look a little bit creepy, I have to say, but if you're into that kind of stuff, then you'll be super happy about that. Of course, they've upgraded the, the camera um, to include 
better super slow motion. You're able to record up to 960 frames per second. That is only at 720p, but the fact that you can do that at all, I think is pretty awesome. Also using its live camera, the S9 can automatically translate phrases, words, and menus or street signs. It does require an internet connection, of course, to do this. And it features the infinity display that we have seen on previous being um, 1,440 times 2,960. And that is it for the Samsung Galaxy S9. Incremental improvements as we generally see from iteration to iteration. So my main topic for the tech corner well, this episode is all to do with Boston Dynamics. Now, some of you may have already seen the video. The moment I said Boston Dynamics, know exactly what I'm on about for you guys. A-star gold badge. Now, for everyone else, uh, Boston Dynamics have been developing one of the most artificially intelligent robots we have seen to date. It is a robot dog, and it is even more horrifying than you ever thought. Uh, Basically, the original video they released showed one of its spot mini robot dogs helping out another spot mini by opening a door so it could walk into the next room. The video was insanely fascinating and incredibly horrifying all at the same time, and it immediately went viral. And if you haven't seen that video, we'll leave a link to the article in the show notes. Go and have a look at it. It's definitely worth doing that. Well, if that wasn't good enough, the folks at Boston Dynamics decided that that little demo could be taken up a notch. And they came up with a brand new video where someone tried to interfere with the robot opening the door, tried putting objects in the way, tried, tried hitting it, tried putting, like had like a dog lead that was attached to it, tried pulling it back with honestly what looks like all his might, dragging the dog back, but it, it still wanted to go. It still wanted to go up to the door. And then, you know, the moment that it could run up to the door, it did. And it continued with its claw grab to pull down the handle, open the door, and then it get out. And honestly, this is some of the most incredible robotics that I've seen in a very long time. You know, it, the fact that it can, a lot of robots, a lot of technology, once someone think, tries to stop it, just goes, okay, can't do this. Well, this one, it just had the power to, to battle against this person and actually still be able to open the door and let itself through. And I think what took my attention from the first video the most, what really grabbed my attention was the fact that not only did this dog open up the door, but it knew to wait and hold the door open for the second dog to be able to go through. And then once the second dog went through, it went through. That's almost like such a courteous human thing, you know, that, that we all take for granted. And just seeing a robot reenacting that or doing that just was really weird, just really weird. And I'd be interested to know uh, your guys' thoughts on this whole thing. Are we going to see robot dogs taking over the world this time next year? What are you talking about? This is terrifying. We are all going to rue the day that these so-called bully scientists have been tampering with these robots. I mean, if Google's scared enough that they dropped uh, Boston Dynamics last year, then we should be scared. And they've been bullying robots since, uh, was it 2013 with their robot Atlas? Yeah. Do you guys remember that? Them pushing him over, hitting him, keeping him down. And since then, Google have pretty much soured on them. I'm with a little with Alan and Ben here. The possibilities are endless. The, this is the most advanced I've seen of um, AI or any sort of uh, robot uh, to date. Usually they, they can walk two steps and they fall over. That, that is usually my idea of this sort of stuff. But to see it open the door and, and being courteous as well, is, it's very human. And, and that's going to be my next question of, can we make them be human? I mean, the technology is amazing. But do we have to keep hitting them? 
and pushing them over and angering them. It's, there's a great argument on YouTube. I'll put a link in the bottom of the description when I find out. But they were talking about what happens when a robot becomes sentient. Like, let's just say in the future, in, in 25 years, um, Ben's toaster knows when he wants his toast, it'll make the toast, and it becomes almost has a, its own personality. So when you pull that plug, have you also already just committed murder as you've just pulled the power, pulled its life source? from it and this is the argument i think robots we always say they don't have feelings and stuff but if they are as as alan just put it if they are bullying robots isn't that a bit of a concern especially a big company like google dropping them have you guys lost your marbles like really are we are we really starting a campaign against robots i mean robot rights rights to robots rr (laughs) (laughs) well i understand they're stress testing these robots yeah that's all they're doing really and i mean robots can't feel they're not feeling pain. They're learning, aren't they? What if they're learning this is how you treat other people? I really don't know what my response is kind of to that because I, I, I don't know. It's, this is a whole, this is the thing, this is a whole can of worms that we could go down for a very long time. And I think, you know, I see it as the way of them, and them testing just how good robots are, how durable they are. They're not flimsy, not just going to fall over. They are really uh, serious bits of kit and they can really um, act for themselves and, and, and start to start to make um, you know, decisions in certain situations and, and react in certain ways. And I, and I think you know, for, for, for robotics in general, for moving us forward in, in the world of robotics, I think this is incredibly important. Every product gets stress tested. You know? F- when Apple makes a phone, they, make, they drop it millions of times to see how it breaks. You know, when people make products, they, they test them, they bend them, they blow them up, set them on fire. They do all these things. Are we start going to have like a peace rally for every single gadget that's ever been stress tested? You know, there's got to be a line somewhere. If, if, if a robot can genuinely be proven to feel pain, which who, what kind of sick person would decide to give a robot the feeling of pain because that just sounds ridiculous. Then, you know, and, until we hit that, then I think that we've got nothing to really, really worry about. And, uh, you know, but yeah, but I mean, the, the robots will eventually take over. They will eventually take over, but uh, I think we're not quite there yet. So that's just some of our thoughts. What side of the fence are you sitting on? Are you for what Boston Dynamics are doing? Are you against what they're doing? How do you feel about the whole robot situation? Get in touch. Let us know. Uh, on Twitter, we are 3 Pod, And of course, you can email us hello at the3pixels.com. And with that, let's head over to Martin in the Games Corner. There are three kinds of people. Those who can count and those who can't. Okay, thank you, Ben, for that. I'm only going to talk about one particular thing, and something that's been in the news quite a lot, and it's still being debated right now. Are video games violent and influencing our kids to commit heinous crimes? No, I mean, that's a load of crap. Blaming gaming for making people kill people is just as ridiculous as saying that any form of media makes anyone do anything for any particular reason. The same as saying that if you drink alcohol, you're more you're, you're going to go and punch up your friends in the pub, or you're going to go beat someone up, or you know when you do this, that something else happens. I mean, you know, it's not a it's not a reasoning for people to do things. People do things because they're mentally unstable. Whether gaming um, gives them the space to try out what they want to do, or whether it gives them the idea, is uh, a different conversation completely. But someone does it because of them being in the mental fitness that they are or in the mental state or wanting to do it for whatever reason. It's not um, because a game 
told a very sane and normal person with very straight morals that yes it's a good idea to go and kill all these people because otherwise all of us would be killing everyone yeah i mean no the answer is no okay so firstly I'm, I'm glad you both said no so i'm gonna be on the other side for yes they do okay donald trump says he will do something to stop the danger of violent video games my honest thoughts are yeah they can because people don't have the right parenting to to take these messages and there are games out there like gta like immortal Kombat, which encourages violence and death as well as stuff like friday the 13th the game where you play as jason Voorhees or a counselor and it's a murderous game of hide and seek and this can influence kids minds and warp them and yes I know you're both arguing arguments going to be, but ah, you said about parenting and they shouldn't let these cho- children play these games. I can bet that either you two or anyone that's listening right now, when they were young, had an 18-year-old game when they shouldn't have, when they were 12, 13, 14. In my opinion, yes, the age restriction's there, but maybe have a stronger policy on that. But at its current rate, video games can harm children. I mean, that argument is uh, just about as ridiculous as saying that it's not the parents' fault if the kids drink alcohol underage or buy cigarettes or commit any other crime for any other reason because that's not the parents' responsibility. They shouldn't have got the influence from said media. That's just passing the buck. I mean, you know, it is the parents' responsibility to make sure the child is brought up properly. There are an endless, countless opportunities for a kid to get bad influences from a friend in school who has a you know a bad upbringing and starting to do bad things uh, someone in the family who uh, is a bad influence or someone outside in the real world which there are plenty of people who are bad influences you know when kids are young they're malleable they can be you know they can be influenced by things that uh, aren't right you know things are in in the movies things in tv shows things on the internet in general plenty of things in the internet are bad for for young kids um but you can't just be like well you know it's all video games is fault for a kid that uh, you know has done something wrong after playing a video game he shouldn't have been playing in the first place that is 100 a parent's an issue and if 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 parents can't take responsibility for this stuff which i think not enough parents do take responsibility for this stuff and actually look at what their kids are doing then where are we in society we're a mess yeah i don't even know why we're still having this conversation to be honest <laughs> no honestly uh, it's been talked to death it's been done donald trump's only saying this to appease his base to try and uh you know keep the nra happy to deflect from the florida shootings and blame video games for something again but the the question of whether video games or any media makes people violent people that's not even worth discussing anymore the funny thing is the media loves running this story about video games causing violence in kids. They jump on the back of this because it's something that gets the mums talking or listening or or interacting with that. And it's really funny because, you know, Donald Trump hates fake news, but he, he's definitely spreading stuff that the media like to spread as fake news. So I think this is really quite entertaining in, if you look at it in that aspect. It's not just Donald Trump. A Rhode Island state representative wants to tax violent video games and he wants to then use that money to put it forward to people with mental health issues. That's not a good idea. I mean, video games are expensive enough as it is. It's costing uh, these companies so much already that they're really having to put microtransactions and whatever yeah. in just to afford to make their games. You want to tax it on top of that. People aren't going to buy them. The video game industry is going to suffer from it. And these mental health people, this, it's, it's nonsense. Again, it's just a way to blame the media for something to deflect from what's really happening in the world. 
I mean, if you're going to do that while you're at it, uh, tax any song that mentions anything inappropriate like gun violence, sexual content or anything like that. And just tax every TV show, movie or anything that makes any reference to anything like that while you're at it as well. I mean, let's just go the whole way, right? And it's it's, it's just politicians saying things like these things never pass through and they know that it won't pass through it's just again they're they're just trying to appeal to their base and this, this is my this is my complete biggest problem with with things like this every time this comes around we have this big conversation about how can we improve things for the better to stop all these shootings going on politicians say things that sound great and and make headlines and things like this you know we're gonna you know try and impose video games because we think that's doing all this but they're not actually doing anything that helps the situation that helps the people who have gone through this horrifying experience experience something that we would never want any of our kids or any of our family members or anyone we know to experience and the best they can do is bring up some crap that has come out of the newspapers every time something like this goes on and it's not doing anything to help the situation if they want to do something worthwhile if they really want to actually help then do something worthwhile make an actual change that affects the people who have been affected or future people who may be affected by this i'm going to finish off with a quote here from the American Psychological Association back in August 2015, between violent video game use and both increases in aggressive behavior and decreases in personal behavior, empathy and mortal engagement. So they are saying it can increase aggressiveness, but these people, they need to be controlled. And I still think that violent video games does bring out the worst in people. And what stops me from I don't know, using like any wrestling game or any shooting game from needing to use it upon Alan then. And I think that's the big argument here. What is stopping you from using it on me? What is stopping you from shooting me right now? And, and this is where I think- Is it your common decency? Yeah, yeah okay. But what's, what's stopping like 99% of everyone who plays video games from attacking each other? You know, and you know what? These people from that are you know, defending the NRA and blaming uh, video games. I bet they played with toy guns when they were kids. That's more likely. You're interacting with a physical gun and shooting at people. Why? Well, let's ban toy guns. Let's ban toys. Nerf guns. Ban yeah. nerf guns. Get rid of them. Yeah. Ban them. Tax them. I, I, I just, yeah, my, my full opinion, and I've already said this, is that it does come down to the parents. I mean, it, they are your kids. They are someone who you are bringing up into this world and should be making sure that they make the right decisions in life and know what's right and what's wrong. And, uh, you know, if, if your kid does have a mental disability, then maybe it's not a good idea that you give them stuff that's really influential and that they may not understand the difference between the falseness of a video game or the fiction in a movie or a book uh, and the reality that's around them. You know, this is responsibility lies at the first base because we can't hamper everyone else just because, um, you know, some parents don't look after their kids or, or make sure that they're, you know, consuming content that's suitable for them. How I'm going to end this off is something quite tragic that did happen in 2004 with the Manhunt murder with Stefan Pirakach. I know I'm butchering that name, and Warren LeBlanc where um, the 14-year-old was, was killed and the, the murderer blamed Manhunt. But at the end of the day, the guy who actually blamed the murder on Manhunt, he didn't actually have owned a copy of, of the video game. The, the victim did. And they always pointed towards that. What I would say is, it, it's, it's always been this age-old question, are they causing it? But then you look at stuff like, the, like books. You look at Romeo and Juliet, people die in that, get cut to pieces. You look at a lot of uh, Shakespeare's writing, but that's always encouraged in, in schools. 
a lot of stuff like Mark Twain. They have dark subjects. The old uh, brothers' grim fairy tales. People get eaten, killed in that. And people don't throw up in arms about this. And I feel like I'm going to be really mean, to, especially to some people here, but people of a certain age where they didn't vote, uh, grow up in video games, they don't understand, I feel. And that's quite a harsh and quite a bold statement to say. But I feel like they don't understand. So when they like, see these things and they see this fear-mongering uh, in the news, they, they just throw up in arms and they don't know what they're talking about to a certain degree. That's all for the Gaming Corner this week, and I'll hand you back over to Ben. Get a life. I'm a gamer. I've got plenty of lives. Now let's move over straight to Alan with the Movie Corner. Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, as you know, last episode I talked about two movies which both tackled a similar theme, but where one I think triumphed, the other floundered. Those being Phantom Thread, which you saw, Ben. Yeah, I did. And the other being Fifty Shades Freed, which a lot of people saw. Uh, last week it was number one in the box office. This week it's number two. I, I, I don't know what people are doing. It's like, <laughs> it's like they didn't hear last week's review. Well, maybe they didn't, Alan. Yeah. This week, though, I would like to talk about two movies that were equally successful, but they both deal with the theme of love. However, on polar opposite sides of the spectrum, they couldn't be more different in tone. And those movies are The Shape of Water and Loveless. The Shape of Water is Guillermo del Toro's fantasy romance creature feature. The story centers on a mute cleaning lady, Elisa Esposito, played by Sally Hawkins, wonderfully infusing Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton uh, in a high-security Cold War-era research facility in 1960s Baltimore, until a Strickland, played by Michael Shannon, arrives with a dangerous bounty in tow, a captured creature possibly from the Black Lagoon. After one vicious off-screen altercation between Strickland and the creature leaves Elisa alone to clean the creature's torture room, she sees it wounded in its watery cage. Clearly, she identifies with another trapped, isolated individual. Soon, Elisa teaches, teaches him sign language, teaches, plays him music, feeds him eggs, and falls in love with this hunky fish man, played by Del Toro's muse, Doug Jones. With the help of her elderly gay neighbour, black best friend and a Russian scientist, played by Richard Jenkins, Octavia Spencer and Michael Stolberg respectively, and I only mention that because they're all silent minorities in their own way in 1960s America, Elisa sets out on a mission to free her amphibian man, learning, of course, who the real monsters in society are. This movie is charm and romance and love beats all. It's all about kindness and acceptance. It wears love on its sleeve with no shame. The characters are vulnerable and open and nuanced and you would walk out of the cinema with a heart full of hope, which is nothing that I can say about Loveless, the second movie I want to talk about today. You ready to hear something a bit more depressing, Ben? I mean, you know, we can always have a little bit depressing in this world. Yeah. There's, there's never enough depression in this world, is there? It's too hopeful around here. Exactly. So let's talk about Loveless. Loveless is a Russian thriller and family drama directed and written by Andrei Zvergenstev. And, as the title may suggest, we follow a married couple who are very much on the rocks. They're mid-divorce, trying to sell the apartment, vindictively battling against each other. But they have a young boy together who's getting caught up in between all the hateful manipulation. After one particularly devastating argument in which the couple Xenia and Boris are trying to pawn the boy off on each other or to social services or to the army whatever they don't care it was all each other's fault that they had the boy 
we see this boy having heard all of this silently imploding in which is probably the most heartbreaking piece of acting I've seen in quite some time by a very talented young actor. Then the couple go to their new partners for a few days, Boris to his pregnant mistress, Xenia to her wealthy older man, thinking the other is looking after the apartment and the boy. The school rings them up to tell them he's gone missing. They didn't even know. They, they weren't around. After... The bureaucratic police make it very clear they won't do anything. They enlist the help of local volunteers to track down their son. Where most movies would give us a character arc that brings these characters together or at least teaches them a lesson, Xenia and Boris use this as another way to manipulate and blame and hurt each other. Looking for this boy is only for selfish reasons, to avoid the destruction of their cultivated appearance. And as I said in my first impressions, which if you did listen to it, the movie definitely delves deep into why they are the way they are. There's a, a wonderful subtlety and believability to their performance. Everyone plays these depressed, miserable, vapid characters, devoid of humanity, but it's, it's vague enough that it wants you to dig for answers. And I really enjoyed that, as awful as it was to experience. And this is what I want to talk about. They do both share a lot of themes and elements, although they sound like they couldn't be further from each other. Both are these personal stories set against war and political turmoil, the shape of war to the Cold War, Loveless against what seems to be hinted at an apocalypse or a world war. All the characters in both movies, you know, when their parents are mentioned, they were these terrible, terrible people. We meet Xenia's mother in Loveless and it pretty much explains why she's that way and why she treats her own child that way. In the shape of water, Elise is, is abandoned by her parents after they cut her, destroying her vocal cords. And religion is portrayed as very malicious in both. I'll, I'll let you watch those to find out why. But even through all those similarities, The Shape of Water leaves your heart warm where Loveless just leaves it shivering cold. And having little experience with Russia, I don't really want to comment on the cultural, political, or even the time period differences between these movies. Although I don't think the time period thing matters because The Shape of Water very much is a modern fairy tale for our time. We have the silent heroine that affects change. And it's even more a modern Beauty and the Beast story where the Beast doesn't become beautiful at the end like we're used to. We love and understand him for what he is. The big difference, though, and the one that I think leads to such an enormous divide in tone is the media that's being portrayed in the background of both of these movies. Shape of Water is old Hollywood. Loveless is modern social media and news. Elisa lives in a rundown cinema in 60s America, you know, that's always playing these 50s, 60s Americans movies. Book of Ruth, Mardi Gras, her neighbor's always watching old musicals on his TV, That Night in Rio, Coney Island, uh, Hello Frisco Hello, and there's even a stage dance number where she sings You'll Never Know in her head. All these movies obviously have this message of love and romance being the most important thing ever, and this is all Elisa experiences, so it shapes her worldview. She is taught to love by cinema and art. Whereas the characters and the world of Loveless don't have cinema, or uh, art at all, actually. The poor have derelict homes and the rich are extremely minimalist. Everything is devoid. The only media they consume is, one, social media. Everyone is constantly scrolling through the same four photos of food and selfies. Everyone's taking selfies. Everyone's more on their phones than listening to other people or even caring about other people. And uh, you guys must have read the, the studies that have been coming out in the past few years about how social media makes you depressed, right? The whole thing about, you know, the ideals of perfect life that you can never achieve. Uh, I can't really speak to the research itself, but it, it, it's definitely an effect here. 
Secondly, the TV and the radio in Loveless only plays this terrible, fear-mongering, constant reports of war and apocalypse, which we don't even know if the apocalypse is happening because people are still going to work and school. It's all around them in the conversation in the media. They're devoid of love because, I think, they're devoid of art. The society society in Loveless is drowned in a world that is making them self-centered. And obviously, this is Siv against Dev holding a mirror up to us, but it's not as blatant as I'm making out. In the movie, it's a lot more subtle and it's all in the background. I think this is all nostalgia. At the end of the day, I think both Del Toro and Zvigenstev are sick of modern cynicism. Both are appealing for a different era, but where Del Toro makes an emotional drama to show us what we could be having, Zvigenstev shows us where we'll be if we carry on. They've both made these unironic, honest, personal movies And that, I think, is always worth watching. Very well put and very well said. I mean, I can't add anything to this. I haven't seen the two films, but the comparison, I think, was very beautifully put together. And uh, yeah, I mean, I want to go see both of those films now. And I think definitely you guys listening at home probably do too. So uh, well done. Thank you. Uh, Martin? Okay. I'm, I'm glad you finished off your sentence with they're both worth watching. But it seems to me that the Oscars have a clear favourite here of um, of the shape of water. I don't think that's too far of a stretch of imagination, considering this film has been nominated for 13 Oscars. That's an incredible record. Um, that is near the um, accolades of All About Eve in 1950, when it was nominated uh, for 14, Titanic was in for 14, and so was La La Land of 2016. And... If they win all 13, that'll be the highest ever totaled. Obviously, the highest uh, totals for three films, Ben-Hur, Titanic and Lord of the Rings Return of the King, all having 11 Oscars given to them on the night. Would you say that is justly deserved, 13 uh, nominees? Yeah, it's it's well within a chance of winning the Oscar. I, I think it's between that, Three Billboards and Lady Bird. Um, Loveless, unfair to say, because it is a foreign language film. It's Russian. So that will, it can never win a Best Picture. And do you think that's what hindered it? If, it, if let's say this was a, an American film or a, a British film, would you have said these would also have 13 nominations? Or even a bit more, as time of this podcast, it's only been nominated for one Oscar, and that is for Best Foreign Language Film of the Year. Do I think that's what hindered it? From yeah, getting just because it was a foreign film, or do you think... Well, yeah, because they, they don't put foreign films in Best Picture. Did they not? I thought they did, you see. That's what the foreign language film category is for. I also don't know if it would be in there if it was English language, because it it holds a mirror up to us in a way that I feel like only Soviet movies have done. And also it's very much about uh, uh, Andrei Zvigensev attacking the Russian government and the Russian police and the Russian people. It's, it's, It's very much a time and place movie. So I don't know how well it would sit with American judges so thank you very much guys uh and please anyone at home who have seen has seen either of these movies let me know what you thought i'd love to have a, a further discussion on it i could talk with both of these for days so let me know and back to you ben the past the present and the future walked into a bar it was tense
This brings us to the part of the episode where we do Versus. If you guys haven't been following the Versus series so far, we've brought it into the new series by changing it around. We're doing different weird topics every week, different people versus the person who wins the previous week stays on for the next and that is myself as I did win the last one and Alan is going to be chairing this episode's verses so with that Alan I'll hand it over to yourself. So as I lost last week's battle uh, I will be the judge this week. Ben you will get to choose whether you go first or second uh, then you will either read out your story or Martin will read out their story and I will see who is the victor. I think I want to go second because I'd like to see the challenger go first and give his best shot. He's running scared already. I like it. I've got him on the ropes. Challenger, <laughs> read your story. Oh man, I'm locked in. A man pleads for help on Twitter after falling asleep in a shop massage chair. A man was forced to tweet for help after he got locked in a department store after falling asleep on a massage chair. A man awoke to a deserted shop floor after dozing off in an electronic store in Japan and then tweeted out and hopefully someone will hear his plea for help. So I think we've all been there, haven't we? We've all had a sleep in a massage chair, woke up, find out you're locked in at night. I like how uh, someone's first port of call for help is Twitter, not like the police. <laughs> Well, you got to tweet about it. It's all, yeah. about the, all about the retweets. He probably just did it for a story. Uh, do you know how many people actually uh, retweeted this? It was 39,000 times. And that's why he did it, because he's a smart oh, guy. True. He did it for the uh, uh, followers. How long did it take for, for him to get out? It actually doesn't say, which is a bit... He's still there to this day. <laughs> he's probably still there. Uh, after 10 police officers searched him to confirm he was not a shoplifter. So um, 10 police officers <laughs> searched him. in the end. That's a bit excessive, isn't it, really? 10 police officers searched him. Yeah. As if a shoplifter would tweet out that they're in a shop after it closes. Oh, don't, don't say you've never done this. That You're about to commit a crime, guys. I'm going to rob a bank. And then, you know, put it on Twitter, put it on Facebook. Make sure. It would look suspicious if I didn't. Exactly. Yeah. That, that was probably his thinking. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I just thought, what a silly man to do, what a stupid <laughs> thing to do. Thank you very much, Martin. And now over to you, Ben. Okay, so I thought that was that was quite a good one. Quite a good story. I actually enjoyed that. Well done, Martin. And uh, mine I actually found by accident. I wasn't searching for a topic for the verses, but um, I uh, just stumbled across this and I really enjoyed it. So the headline is, Woman thrown off Emirates flight after complaining about period pain. Beth Evans described pain as one out of 10 to boyfriend. So yeah, the woman and her boyfriend were allegedly thrown off a 400 pound Dubai bound Emirates flight shortly before it took off as she told him that she was suffering from period pain. Beth Evans, 24, told her boyfriend that she had period pains before the plane left Birmingham airport, describing them as a one out of 10 in terms of the pain factor. However, when the flight crew overheard her, she was told that as there wasn't a doctor on board to provide medical attention, they would need to, and this is the bit that's kind of completely in my words, overreact and remove her from the flight. They were obviously the couple had to spend uh, another a load amount of money. They had to fork out extra money on another flight just because they've been kicked off this one because of that. As a quote here says, it's embarrassing to have to explain about period pains when it's being overheard. They didn't have anyone look her over. They just contacted a medical team in the US and that they said that Beth couldn't fly. Yeah, I mean, just really i mean for period cramps for like one out of ten pain factor i mean yeah that's absurd so 
they just overheard her complaining to her boyfriend yeah. and then decided there's no doctor here. Yeah. She needs to leave. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Who, what airline? Sorry. Emirates. Should we boycott Emirates? <laughs> I do like this theme, Ben, of you uh, standing up for women in your... Uh... Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, millions of women suffer from period pains. Like, and... Oh, and the Doritos thing last week as well. Yeah, it's just, just why, why pick on one woman just because of that and chuck her off a plane? And then, like, she's basically being taxed for having a period pain. She's had to pay extra money for a new flight just because she had period pains. I mean, if there's a doctor on board, what are they going to do? It's just a period. She's not dying. She hasn't been stabbed. She just has some period pains, which, why, why would you need the doctor for that? Hang on, I, I've addressed the issue of man's issue where we can fall asleep on massage chairs and locked in. He's on a peaceful nap. Just, just put no one out there. All right, Martin. All right, it's down to Alan. Let's leave it with him. Do the right thing. I don't know. I'm going to have to give it to Ben. There is a. I know. I'm sorry, but there is a injustice. Be it's just, it's just an absurd injustice that really did not even need to happen. Like you said, you justified the man sleeping on the the couch. He he needed that. That woman did not need to be thrown off a 400 pound flight. Exactly. Exactly. You win this round, Ben, but I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> so there we have it. Ben won this round. That means Martin will be judging next week and Ben will get to choose first. If you can't tell, I'm doing my uh, winning dance. I'm the only one who has not won one yet, so I'm getting a bit concerned. Bring your game, Alan. You're on. You're on. So there we have it. I know, sad. We're at the end of another fantastic episode of the podcast. We hope you have enjoyed listening to it just as much as we've enjoyed putting it together. Read more about the articles that you've heard us discuss in the show notes. Links are all there. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are at 3pixelspod. You can check all the episodes out on your favorite platforms. Hit subscribe to never miss the latest episodes or bonus episodes that we've put out. And stay tuned for more amazing content coming your way soon. Thank you to Martin. Thank you very much. Thank you to Alan. Thank you. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Bye. See you later. Bye. You've been listening to the Three Pixels podcast, a production by Alan Taylor, Martin Gregory, and me, Ben Ridley. Music provided by Epidemic Sound and exec produced by Abrupt Audio. With that, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Good night. If I start going now, I'll get there about five past. Okay. So if you run fast, just... Just, just belt Get, it. Just leave. Just, just, just leave. You've yeah. done. Because I know if I leave, you're going to talk about me as well. Well, That's I'm going to try and talk about Martin this. We're not, we're not going to talk about you. Why would we do that? Oh, well, forget about you the moment you leave the building. <laughs> just like. <laughs> forget about who? I don't know. What are we on about? Well, I, I heard earlier when, when I walked in, like, you're like, oh yeah, Martin's part of this podcast, isn't he? Mm. Oh yeah. yeah. I, we appreciate that you made the trip down to the studio. No, with don't us. lie to yourselves. No, <laughs> it's great. All right, I'll, I'll stop recording now. Oh, Why are you guys even still listening to this? Like, this is just a load of rubbish. If you're still listening, just stop. Just please. Oh, Martin's actually is leaving, so. I'm getting up. All right. So, I'll pack you up. Talk to me, no, I'm talking to the listeners who's still listening at this point, which is just ridiculous. Um, there's still someone, and we thank you for your love and support. Um, Martin doesn't, but we do. True, man. Don't tell him that. <laughs> All right, I'm actually stopping now because I'm getting a bit delirious.